0: Hello and welcome to Rinse and Repeat, I'm Carol Iscaros. As you know, from time to time, we get letters into Rinse and Repeat that I love to share with you, especially because they're incredibly encouraging, not just to me and to our team, but hopefully to each of you in your journey with the Lord. And this letter was especially encouraging. Uh, This listener writes, Dearest Carol, I have been a listener for the past couple of months, and may I just say thank the Lord and you. You have truly been such a blessing in my life. So frequently when I take a break from listening and pick back up the message, though posted weeks, months, or even a year ago, seems like it was written just for me for this present moment. As a 20-year-old girl, I am a very big chronic overthinker, perfectionist, and all of the above. And so often, though I've been walking with the Lord for nearly two years, still sometimes I fall back into old habits of feeling without hope and very anxious. But thanks be to... To the Lord that He is speaking to me through you. May the Lord continue to bless your efforts through your trials and sicknesses. Thank you for pounding it into my head with Christian love that sometimes it is in our sorrows, our sicknesses, our valleys that God speaks to us, that He purifies us. Surely I have known this since I was young, but being able to see this proof in you. That he will bless us with spiritual blessings by giving us trials and tribulations to purify us means that I am commanded by the Lord to stop worrying that my very life is in his precious hands and that whatever sorrow or loss may or may not come in the future has passed through him first. Not only so, but we glorify in tribulations also knowing that tribulation works patience and patience experience and experience hope. And hope makes not ashamed because the love of God has shed abroad into our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given to us Romans 5 3 through 5. May God continue to bless you and the rinse and repeat family. I just have no words for what that note means to me and this rinse and repeat family. This listener had literally just infused me with fresh air because she really didn't just capture the heart of rinse and repeat. She captured my heart. I am that perfectionist and that overthinker and the one that thinks I never do enough and I I am not enough and everything's a failure and the sky is falling chicken little. (laughs) And she just encouraged us so, so much. And I just want to thank each of you for taking time to write, for praying for Rinse and Repeat, for listening to Rinse and Repeat, and for sharing the program. We are rejoicing over 23,000 downloads of the program. It just has overwhelmed us with thankfulness and joy and If there's anything that you can do to encourage the program, take a minute and send a note through my website, caroliscaros.com. Notes like these are absolutely precious to us. And take a moment and share the program as you have been doing. That is such a treasure because it means you think that God's word has something to say. The program has something to say to your beloved friends and family. What, what? What a blessing. So, today's contemporary woman of the Bible is one I've shared with you before, but I'm going to give you another story from her life. Her name is Florence Young. And you'll remember a couple of weeks ago, I shared with you a story from Florence Young's life. She worked among the Kanaka indentured servants in. Queensland, Australia. She had a heart for these men who worked on her brother's plantation. But there's a remarkable story that she shares from her ministry. As God was revealing to her what he wanted her to do among the Kanaka people, he showed her that she needed to start getting organized. So she sent a letter out to make the needs known for her ministry. And the letter basically explained her vision and her plan. And she sent it to all the believers she knew in Australia and beyond. And uh, a month after sending out that letter, Florence received a letter from her sister, Emily. And she opens the letter and inside there's two very neatly folded one guinea notes and a letter so in it, her sister explains that she had gone to a meeting to hear the famous George Mueller. Many of you will recognize the name George Mueller. He was the one in Bristol, England, who started the orphanages and lived entirely by the gift of faith to provide for the needs of his orphans there in England. He was visiting Australia and New Zealand on a speaking tour, and her sister Emily uh, went to hear him speak, and she actually took. Florence's letter about her work among the Kanaka indentured servants with her. And she went up to George Mueller and gave him her sister's letter and said, could you read this? Imagine the boldness. She just went up to him and said, you need to read this letter. So he read it slowly and carefully. And after a moment, he said, I think the Lord wants me to help with this work. So he proceeded to give two guineas to Emily and he said something remarkable, which Emily then shared with Florence. He said this, tell your sister to expect great things from God, and she will get them. That word from that man was just the encouragement and the hope that Florence needed. Tell your sister to expect great things from God, and she will get them. She believed that God would send the workers, the Bibles, the writing paper, and the pencils that she needed in order to teach the Kanukas how to read and how to write in order to be able to read God's word. That one small gift, that one small note meant everything. And it's like Hudson Taylor said, God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. Do you guys hear that, what Hudson Taylor said? God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. God did supply that need, as we learned. It became known as the South Seas Evangelical Mission, employing 19 missionaries, 119 Native teachers, and claiming over 2,000 conversions among this people group, many of them coming from cannibalistic and hedonistic tribes. They were cannibals. Understand how difficult it would be to reach these people. And God indeed supplied the need, just as Mueller said. But the other part of that story is these two sisters were fundamentally, you know, conspiring for good. Emily took her sister's letter and presented it to George Mueller for the good, for the advancing of the kingdom of God, not for personal gain. This is a sharp contrast to the woman we are about to study in God's word today. Okay, sharp, sharp contrast. We are about to study Sapphira of Ananias and Sapphira fame in the book of Acts. Okay, we're going to look at this closely. And so we're reading two passages for those of you who have your Bibles open or are note takers. We're reading Acts 4, 32 through 37, and then we're reading Acts 5, 1 through 11. Those are the two passages we're in. Acts 4, 32 through 37, and then Acts 5, 1 through 11. So let's read these closely. Acts 4, 32 says this. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked for all who were possessors of lands or houses, sold them, and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite from the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. And now in Acts 5, so we're just finishing Acts 4, now in Acts 5, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, and his wife, also being aware of it, brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all who heard these things, and the young men arose and wrapped him, carried him out, and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter answered her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. "'Then Peter said to her, "'How is it you have agreed together "'to test the spirit of the Lord? "'Look, the feet of those who buried your husband "'are at the door and they will carry you out.' "'Then immediately she fell down at the feet "'and breathed her last.' And the young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. Whoa, 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 whoa. So a quick recap of the actions and the overall story here before we draw our lessons from it. The Holy Spirit has descended upon the church of Jesus Christ, and the church is growing. Peter is still the central figure in the early church. Paul has not yet entered on the scene, and they're still living in Jerusalem, and Judea with all things in common, okay? And please note, so often this time and these passages in the early church are used to bolster the position of communists and socialists to say, look, this happened even in the Bible. Socialist models are even biblical, but this is not So I want us to be astute students of the scriptures and know what the word of God says. Notice what Peter says in Acts 5 verses 3 and 4. Listen again. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? Verse 4, while it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? See, the property and the proceeds of the sale belonged to Ananias and Sapphira, and they were free to do with it what they chose. It didn't belong to the state or to the church. See, in communism, the government owns and decides what every bit of property, how it's supposed to be divided and how it's supposed to be used. That's not what this is. See, I want you to note these things the next time someone tries to misuse scripture. The giving and the generosity here is bottom up. People are giving their stuff and using it for the church. They're offering it up to the church. It's not top down. It's not, we own everything and we decide what you get to use. Also, another important point. I want you to note that Ananias and Sapphira in this passage, they are believers. They are part of the church. This is important because some people try to say, well, they weren't believers. All right. So that's why this is all going down for them. This is important. And I think that it's a little scary, but They are counted as part of the way. And the reason why most of the theologians I was reading and commentators say this is because of the following. Three reasons why we know they're believers. Number one, Peter calls both of them by name. He calls them Ananias and Sapphira by name. They are part of this community. They are not strangers to them. All right. Second, their offering is being brought in parallel to the offerings brought by Barnabas and others at this time. So they're part of a community doing a communal thing. All right. So they are part of the community giving at the same time. And the third thing is their death is resulting in great fear coming upon the church. So their death brings fear to the church if they were outsiders, it wouldn't make much of a difference to the church. Okay. So they're not outsiders. So I think it's important for us to begin to unpack this knowing those things as background, all right? Their sinful act, we know they sold the possession, giving only portion to the church, but they implied that they gave it all to the church. And so the ancient Greek word for kept back, you know, they kept part of it back for themselves is a word I really am going to butcher the pronunciation. I need to study Greek and Hebrew. That's going to be an impossibility, don't you think? It's probably never going to happen in my world, but I really want to study ancient Greek and Hebrew, but it's nosfezomai, nosfezomai, which means to misappropriate, okay? And that same word, the Hebrew term for it, is used of Achan's theft in the Old Testament, all right? In the Old Testament, you'll remember that Israel was defeated at Ai because a man named Achan stole accursed things. He took things he wasn't supposed to take and there was sin in the camp as a result. Sin had to be rooted out. Achan and even his family were killed as a result and it was because he stole these things. That same term is used here of what Ananias and Sapphira are doing. So let's just say God is taking this super seriously in the Old Testament, and he's taking it super seriously here in the New Testament. It's also used uh, to mean simply to steal in Titus 2.10. So this is important. Their sinful act isn't just a one-time, oh, God God is really mad here. God was really mad about it in the Old Testament as well. And I want us to take a momentary look at Peter here. God is giving Peter a supernatural gift called the gift of a word of knowledge. It's mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12:8 where the Holy Spirit is revealing something to Peter that he otherwise wouldn't have known. That is a word of knowledge. Now, it's not the only time that the Holy Spirit has done this, okay, to Peter. Can you remember, oh, my students of the Scripture, when Peter was given this gift before, when something was revealed to Peter that he otherwise might not have known a word of knowledge? It happens actually around Jesus. When Matthew 16, it happens when he's asking, who am I? Simon Peter answers and tells Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answers and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Jesus confirms that Peter was given a word of knowledge by the Holy Spirit in that moment. And here we see Peter again being given a word of knowledge. And see, as a result of Ananias and Sapphira's misappropriation and their lie, Peter's pretty much dealing with their sin publicly, all right? So I think this is another thing for you to understand. One teacher, he writes, it's a good general rule for public sins to be dealt with publicly, and secret sins to be dealt with secretly, more privately. So he's pretty much dealing with this thing publicly because they come with a certain amount of flourish, right? Look at us, we're giving this gift, la, 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 la. And so he deals with it pretty publicly. And I just want to point out one more thing here that Peter does, which I love so much when you're reading the passage closely. Peter refers to the Holy Spirit as a person and as God. See, he's saying you are lying to God. You have not lied to men, but to God. He's likening the Holy Spirit to God himself. He is understanding the Trinity standing there, and the Holy Spirit has just descended. So there is no confusion in the early church that God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are one. It's subsequently that there's this whole, like, drama about whether or not the Trinity and how it all works and all of that. He is calling the Holy Spirit God. And listen, you can't lie to a thing. Like I can't lie to my television. And he's saying, you have lied to God. You lie to people. And the Holy Spirit is here treated as a person. So I love how he refers to the Holy Spirit as a person and to God. Now, Again, before we get to all of our application points and a lot of the personal part of this, the consequence. Why does the Holy Spirit seem to react so dramatically here? Do you ever wonder that? Like, these two get dead. They get dead for lying here. Doesn't it seem like, wow, there are times where I kind of step back. like Moses not being allowed to enter the promised land. Was that kind of harsh? Like, ouch. Just a big ouch there. Or here, they die. Why was it so harsh? There are several explanations, but I'm going to boil it down to two things. One is, in verse 3, Satan had filled their hearts. Let's be clear. They are under the influence of Satan. You can belong to the Lord. Let's be clear. You can be a Christian and be under the influence of the enemy. There's a great enemy of our souls who is working to destroy and divide the church, the early church back then and the church today. Ananias and Sapphira here are oppressed and influenced by the enemy, and that influence could have Really hurt the fledgling early church. So, God is acting this way indeed to protect his church from enemy infiltration. That's what he's doing. He's protecting the early church from enemy infiltration, no doubt. And the second thing is they are deliberately lying to God and his people. See, this is not a one time mistake or a brief weakness. This was a conscious act. See, proof here is that Peter gave Sapphira a chance to do what's right. He asked her the question, hey, did you sell it for such and such an amount? And she didn't take the chance to tell the truth. It's a willful act that has to be dealt with. And I have to say, and this is recent and this is very raw for me. My children have to be corrected. And one of my kids has an ongoing sort of attitude issue. And she gets warned and she gets warned and she gets warned. And when she doesn't heed these warnings, there has to be these sort of direct corrections and they hurt. And I honestly think the direct corrections hurt me more than they hurt her. I don't want her to miss out on things that she wants to do and parties and get-togethers. But that's the thing. Deliberate actions, deliberate, willful disobedience has to be corrected. In Proverbs, it says, correct your child promptly. See, it's this whole idea that somehow we want our children to be our friends, and so we don't correct, and then we end up raising sadly, an entitled and painfully impossible generation of young people. I was once a manager of people, and they were impossible to work with. No, God deals with deliberate disobedience and lying, and he deals with it directly. So I want us to take a few personal lessons from the story of Sapphira. and. I just love that this is coming the week after we studied the widow's two mites. The widow is such a strong contrast to Sapphira, okay? The first thing is I want you to look at the motivation behind their action because I made such a point last week about God cares about how we give, not how much we give or what we give, but how we give. I talked about it at length last week, and here again I'm saying look at the motivation behind their action. See, In the earlier section that we read, we see that Barnabas is a son of encouragement, and he brings land and money, and he lays it at the apostles' feet. And so without a doubt, Ananias and Sapphira are looking at Barnabas, and they're like, we want a bit of all of that action. You know, he's getting all that credit. So can't we have our cake and eat it too? We want all of that. We want to look like big givers and sacrificers. But we also want to keep some of our wealth and the prestige that comes with being wealthy. So they wanted both and, and they were willing to lie to get it. See, even godly looking acts can be prompted by the enemy. I want us to look for a second at Matthew 6. Matthew 6, 1-4 through 4 says this, "'Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward.' But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. See, ask God to purify and reveal your motives. Some of the most beautiful things are the things that you're not looking around to get the credit for. I cannot emphasize this enough. And I've said it on the program multiple times that my challenge this year is about growing my faith, that sometimes I am acting in a faithless way. And this is a challenge on the motivations behind what I do. Am I acting faithlessly as I am doing things? And I just want to exhort you strongly, as I'm living this life, what is the motivation behind what you are doing? They wanted to look good. So when you're going about what you're doing, are you doing it so people can applaud you and say, "Gosh, she's so good serving in the children's ministry all these years. You want to get some at a girl, pat on the back, Explore your motives. The second lesson I want us to look at is this one. And this is, this is a biggie. Beware of the love of money. See, at the heart of this act is greed. Okay? At the heart of this act is greed. See, I find this interesting because these two don't just love the prestige. They love the money itself. They want to have money. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, for the love of money. See, it's not money. It's the love of money that's the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. I cannot tell you how painful it is for me to be around people who will not part with a penny because of their love of money. It's painful to watch. And Matthew 19, 24, Jesus said, again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Why is that? Because they love their money. See, one commentator wrote, once the love of money takes possession of a person, there is no evil that he cannot or will not do. But how can we tell that? How can we tell if greed has taken over in our hearts? Cuz some of us might be like, yeah, that's not me. But how can we even tell? Let me give you some challenge questions, okay? Some questions to explore your own heart on greed, okay? Do you hoard money? Do you not tithe, but aside from tithing, do you not freely give or generously consider others? Are you a hoarder of money? Are you one who is not willing to be accountable to other people on issues surrounding money? So in other words, you struggle with greed, but you're not willing to talk to anybody about it. These are things I would ask you to consider and talk to someone. I always come back to the issues of accountability on the podcast. I'm a big fan of accountability. I really am. Because as someone who has on and off struggled with weight, Doing plans that involved having to go and weigh in and have weekly accountability were incredibly effective for me. Having a friend here in Louisiana who I was taking walks with and meeting with was very helpful for me in weight loss because accountability meant I had to go talk to someone and there was a a measure, a standard. Having someone that you say, you know what, I really like, I don't want to part with my money. You know, I'm willing to spend some time with people, but I don't want to give up any of my money. Challenge yourself on this. This is important and it matters. And I love that it comes on the tail end of our study of the widow and her two mites. The third lesson here, and I think maybe even greater lesson than the question of greed is pride. Safira's sin is greed, of course, in keeping the money, but her greater sin is pride in wanting everyone to consider that she's so spiritual that she gave it all when she really hadn't. See, why is pride such a big deal? Proverbs 11.2 says, when pride comes, then comes shame, but with the humble is wisdom. See, pride comes before the fall. Mm. I could say it this way. Every sin we commit, you can drag your finger and you can find pride at the heart of it. Pride is at the heart of every single thing that we might do. C.S. Lewis called it the great sin. And in Mere Christianity, I love this. I'm going to read you this quote by C.S. Lewis. He says this, According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. It is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and in every family since the world began. But think with me in the Bible, all right? Think with me people who really had serious trouble because of pride. I mean, you could probably point every single man and woman that struggled with pride at some point, but think about Haman in the book of Esther, didn't he end up hanging on the gallows he built for her and her people? Or Nebuchadnezzar? Listen, you're all going to bow to this statue of mine. Pride, hello. Or the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. See, the whole parable was aimed at those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And the Pharisee's like, ah, look at me. I I fast and I do this and I do that. Pride. But this is an example, I think the best example in the Bible. Please hear me. The best example in the Bible. And many of you may not know this one. I'm going to confess, I did not know this one. I had to go dig through it. And I was like, I remember reading this way back when. And it's just did not come to mind. Uzziah. Do you guys know this one? Uzziah in 2 Chronicles 26. Oh my gosh, I love it so much. The best Old Testament example of pride leading to serious trouble. So he's a believer king, right? He became king of Judah at age 16, and he really had a heart to seek God. He put himself under the spiritual mentorship of Zechariah. And Second Chronicles 26, verse 5, it actually says, as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. How amazing is that? As long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. So he acquired wealth and political and military might. I mean, he was incredible. But then listen to this. Listen, Second Chronicles 26, verse 15, listen. He made devices in Jerusalem invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and large stones. So his fame spread far and wide, for he was marvelously helped till he became strong. You guys hear that? He was marvelously helped till he became strong. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. So Azariah the priest went in after him and with him were 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men, And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, it is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary, for you have trespassed. You shall have no honor from the Lord God. Listen to me. He was doing great until his heart became lifted up with pride, until he became strong. And then he said, okay, now I'm not just going to play the role of the king. I'm going to be the king and the priest. I'm all that. And I like to say all that in a pile of cheese. And then all of my ESL friends try to correct me and they say, it's not all that in a pile of cheese. It's all that in a bag of chips, they say. Cheese is better than chips. Anyway, he was lifted up in pride, thinking he could play all the roles. And it's not just Uzziah in history, power grabbing, and all of the stories we read come back to the horror of pride. Listen, can you look at your own heart and say, where am I hardened and stubborn and unwilling to Get a question like Peter asked of Sapphira and give an honest answer. Sapphira had a chance, y'all. She had a chance to tell the truth and not end up dead, and she didn't take it because of her pride. She, she didn't even consider it was remotely a problem to lie to God. That's how subtle pride can be. It can be so sneaky. Do we even recognize it in our own life? All right, moment of brutal honesty. We can get in an argument, my husband and I, all my married listeners out there, come on, tell the truth, right? None of us have perfect marriages and I can be absolutely confident that I am right in my position, absolutely confident. And then you go away and you sit with yourself for a minute and you're like, I probably really sounded like a jerk. Like, was that really necessary to make such a big fuss about this or that? When you get quiet long enough, do you ever realize that your pride is really a problem? That's what I want to point out. Not unlike what I encouraged us to do about greed when we need, you know, accountability and to look at our own hearts on things. What about pride? Do we ever get quiet enough to look at ourselves and say, God, I have an issue with this. God, would you clean this out? There's a stubbornness. There's an anger. There's an unwillingness to yield, and all of it at the heart of it is pride. See, I feel like the main antidote to pride is a genuine and healthy fear of God, which I feel is what happened with the ultimate Ananias and Sapphira story. When those two died, there's like this fear that comes upon the church, which is the ultimate answer to greed and pride and any other problem. If you genuinely fear God the way you're supposed to, you won't continue to walk in sin and think, ah, it's not a big deal if we genuinely fear and love the Lord, not an, oh my gosh, there's going to be a thunderbolt that's going to get me, but a genuine love for him, a, a wanting to walk with God, wanting to be in his word and to do what it says, meditating upon his goodness and his faithfulness and his holiness, wanting him in us and with us and through us, that ultimately would change our behavior and correct our pride. And Oh, Holy Spirit, would you live in us and reveal these things to us? And that's ultimately why I am going to title this message as I have titled it. Going back to what Hudson Taylor said, let's do God's work, God's way. Sapphira didn't, but we would never be her. Let's do God's work, God's way. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Rinse and Repeat, looking at Sapphira. What I love about this Woman of the Bible series is that we're not just looking at the great ones, right? We're looking at the sketchy ones. We had to study Michael. She didn't end in a great way, and Sapphira clearly didn't end in a great way, and certainly Jezebel didn't. So we've looked at some of these tough stories, not just the great ones. What a great challenge to each of us to look at our hearts and examine them on greed and pride. Um, I know some of these studies are hard. We have to do some heart exploration, and I think that's important. Let's do that. Let's challenge our own hearts on these things. If you want to learn more about me, about the ministry, listen to programs you may have missed, check out our Bible reading plans or get in touch with me. Please visit my website, caroliskaros.com. That's carol, A-R-O-S.com. And for those of you who are new to the program, I know that many of you have joined us recently. The very heart of Rinse and Repeat is the washing of water by the word. My heart is to read you segments of Scripture and pull truth from the Scripture that applies to our daily life. I am not sharing positive thoughts, not cultural ideas and nuance. I want to be in the Word of God, and I want to be washed by the water that it gives us. That's what I want to do, and that's the heart of this program. And if you know anything about me, I am passionate about discipleship. Absolutely passionate. Jesus has called us to make disciples and the call to make disciples comes back to teaching them. And so I feel like the heart of making disciples is about teaching. And that's why I am teaching through the women of the Bible. I've also taught a series on the names of God, on anxiety, I've done several Lanyap editions. So you can catch up on all of those programs. The podcast form of Rinse and Repeat can be heard anywhere podcasts are available, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, anywhere you can find podcasts. You can also catch the radio version By all means, get in touch with me whenever you are able. I would love to hear from you. Again, caroliscaros.com. And be sure to join me next time for our next episode of Rinse and Repeat.